What tips do you have for staying relevant and focused, given the deluge of information coming at us on a daily basis? I feel your pain, first of all. I think, Andy, you feel their pain too, right? Do you feel like it's just like info overload? I think we all do. So one of the things I have tried to do, and I hope this maybe helps, I've done it on sort of just my own, with my own business, is I had realized over time I had started to subscribe to so many things, like just over time, and to be like, oh, this is a cool article, subscribe or whatever, get our monthly updates. And by the time you know it, you're, you could spend your entire day reading all of this. So, so I think doing a check-in, one way to do it is to think about like, what are the things you really need to know about um, that you want to kind of keep a pulse on? And are there certain resources that really give you that info? That could be professional development, right? Like maybe you always go to this amazing webinar or conference in person or online that kind of keeps you up to speed. Well, then like keep that on your radar, right? Maybe you have these three go-to publications that are the ones that you're like, if all other publications went away, it'd be okay. Cause most of the time I don't even read them. They clog my inbox. So, so like, I think it's just kind of, I think it's a little bit about getting back to prioritizing, figuring out how you get rid of the kind of other stuff. Um, you know, the other thing you could do is potentially get, there are people who love staying kind of abreast and connected to what's going on with your organization. So I worked with an organization, a nonprofit at one point that they had a volunteer and he was just like the news savvy guy. He was checking out things in, in resources I didn't even know existed. Right. And he would report back to the executive director and say, Hey, I just heard this update. Here's a link to the article. I think it could apply to you in this way. And he was a hundred percent volunteer, but he was an older gentleman who had like a lot of time on his hands and he cared about this cause and he just wanted them to stay in the know. So he volunteered to do that. So like, I think there's, there's ways to kind of figure out how you get, you stay relevant with what you need to know out there without it always having to be all on your shoulders. Maybe you spread it among staff. Like maybe there's some different ways to go about it. Yeah. The, the, the staying like keeping track of, of things that are important to your organization can be tough, right? Um, but that's, I mean, that's why you talk to peers. That's why you spend time in organizations like Ann or YNPN or or a group of, or, or AFP or a group of people that are in the same kind of space that you're in because, because that's, you know, those human conversations is where we learn about things that are important, not by the, the fire hose of nonsense that pukes out of your computer directly into your eyeballs. Like that's not, that's a terrible place because I mean, and you know, at risk of getting my soapbox back out again, most of that is specifically engineered to make you not look away. It's like they've, they've psyched, they've figured out the psychological profile of humans to figure out that like, this is what we can do to waste as much of your time as possible so that we can sell that time to advertisers. That's a hundred percent what they're doing and being engaged with it trying to trying to use that for some sort of good purpose is going to be a losing battle because you're going to get sucked right into it. So one of the, I mean, one of the, like my, this is opinion too, is like the lack of focus is, is directly related to creativity. Like somebody who's just doing one thing and one thing only all the time and has complete focus on a very specific task, never has the ability to take in any other information from any other source. So that focus, that that being able to flip from thing to thing to thing to thing, um, as long as it's not a waste of your time, as long as it's a positive thing that you're doing and not a negative thing that you're doing is a really, really good trait to have. 
Um, it's a matter of managing it. It's a matter of knowing that, you know, if I'm going to be distracted by something right now, is it something that's going to be good for me or something that's going to be bad for me? So maybe I shouldn't try to distract myself with bad things. Maybe I should try to distract myself with good things. And, and just like, you know, owning it, recognizing that that's just how humans are built. And it's part of part of the creative process. And I can't tell you how many times I've been I've been working on something and have have gotten distracted by something else that ten, turns out to have some random relevance to the other thing that I was working on. Like I didn't, I wasn't even looking for this and look what I found. And now this is exactly the piece I need to finish this other project that I was working on because your mind is sort of open to the, you know, you're, you're thinking of it in a positive way and your mind is open to accepting new information and not being single-mindedly attached to a single task at any given time. So, you know, uh, don't, don't fight the, the lack of focus just make sure that it's being channeled in a correct way. Make sure it's being channeled to something that's good for you and not something that's bad for you. And I guess I also think you could do like, you know, some people are great at time blocking and say the first hour of my day or the last hour of my day is any like whatever. It's it's allowing time for those human conversations you talk about, Andy. I know it doesn't work that nice and neat, right? Like people organize at different times, but like, or maybe there's these three sources that I think are reliable, independent sources that I have all, always gotten my info or relevant. Maybe it's um, your university um, is is known or, or kind of economic analysis reports or, or sort of these state of the city reports or things that like maybe you want to keep an eye on and you know they come out like you could get them all say like you know have that system where you have an hour every day where whatever that is that you consider to be a reliable source if it is that reading just to kind of stay up on things so you even know what's going on in the environment around you and sort of how it impacts your nonprofit like time block right 30 minutes whatever i know that everyone but it's going to be a lot more effective to like put it in your little habit funneled into your outlook or whatever program you use and put in a folder so that you the last 30 minutes of your day do it instead of interrupting yourself throughout the day like i think that's Right. Like every study out there says that's so bad for efficiency. Your brain is sort of like can't ever like get focused. And I don't know if it, like yeah, I'm hearing you say different. Though. I don't, like, I don't I want to be you, efficient. I want to be effective. Right. 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 Like, I don't want to I don't want to like and, and, you know, my this you know, we're going to go we're going way down the metaphysical train yeah, yeah. tracks now. I Time is all you have. Yeah, that's that's the only thing you have is time. You've got you're alive for about four thousand weeks. That's it. It's a very short period of time. And you need to make sure that you're in control of it. Don't let other people get in control of it. So, so if what works for you is if like you, you know that you need to block out time because you won't spend time on something, absolutely put something on your calendar to make you go do it. So I've got, I have run on my calendar as like an item that happens right. and like, because it's like, oh, so that way nothing can get scheduled on top of it and I can go do that thing, right? Whether I do or not is a different question. Like, <laughs> like I'm too busy, right? But, yeah. but like having, having that blocked out is, is good. Um, I, I just don't, I don't know. I, I think humans are way better at con- giving you information. Like one of the good sources that I, I find really underutilized is scholarly journals. Mm-hmm. So here in Nevada, we are very, very lucky that if you have a library card, you can go to UNLV and you have access to their entire database. So the database of every scholarly journal, and I'm gar- I've guaranteed that there is a journal out there that has something to do with what you're working on. Absolutely. Like whether it's psychology, whether it's some sort of mission related thing, if it's not, there's a bunch of journals just, just about nonprofit fundraising where people like ask these really complicated, deep questions about like 
what color button is the best color for a button, <laughs> things right, like that, right? right. And they'll, they'll do this big study and there'll be this big research project about what they discovered, right? So that's a, there's a ton of information, no matter what field you're in, out there of, of really neat content like that, that, you sh- that for me, in my opinion, you should go search out rather than expect it to appear magically in your eyeballs. Nonprofit governance. Nonprofit answers. Nonprofit board. Nonprofit management. Nonprofit marketing. Nonprofit resources. The Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits presents Nonprofit Everything, the podcast about everything nonprofit, with your host Andy Shurek and Stacy Wedding. Welcome everybody to another episode of Nonprofit Everything. I'm Andy Shurek. I'm here with my fantastic co-host Stacy Wedding. And we're here to answer a whole bunch of nonprofit related questions. So the way this works is you send us questions. You can do it Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. You can go to the Nonprofit Everything webpage and click the Contact Us button or Ask a Question button. Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits webpage and do the same thing there. This podcast is a production of the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits. So one of the best ways you can support the podcast, if you are interested in doing that, is by joining Anne. So Anne's always got a bunch of interesting stuff going on. It's a great resource for those of you that are nonprofits in Nevada. If you're outside of Nevada, you can still join Anne. Nobody's going to tell you you can't, and we would appreciate that very much. So with that, we'll jump right into it. One of our standing committees of the board is a fund development committee. We also have two staff in our development department. Lately, there seems to be some overlap between the development committee's role and our development staff's role. How do you deal with this inherent overlap that comes with board committees and staff? That's a great question. And I feel like this is something that's like this in, inherent like tension that happens with certain committee structures. So I'm a big believer of first you have to define, is this a board-led committee, right? Like, is this a governance-related committee or is this more of a staff or operational committee? And, and you know, board members could obviously be a part of either one of those, but their role changes drastically depending on that. So, um, so I think when I've worked with organizations that have set up you know, a development committee that is much more kind of led by a board member really is looking at it from a governance structure. That is much more, it's been more tied to practices at the, you know, practices and policies around development, um, perhaps uh, getting fellow board members involved and enthused about fundraising Right. Like that committee has had it's very much been about the board's fundraising effort for the organization and and less about kind of what the staff roles are doing. So like that committee is not it wouldn't be appropriate for that committee to start saying staff, how are we doing on development? Right. Like like because that's that's then crossing over the line of like a board role versus an executive director role overseeing the staff. So so I think it can get dicey. Like so I think it needs to like start out with whether it's a charter or something that says this is a board-led committee or this is a staff-led committee and we do have board members who participate to help support the staff in their efforts, but like, like here's who leads it, here's where the responsibility is, and here's the purpose of it. And being really clear, and most organizations don't, right? Like these committee ideas come up at a board meeting and some board member says, oh yeah, we should set up a development committee because they've heard this like on other boards or they've been on other boards. And 
and staff are like, uh, okay, what does that mean? And, and I also think there's like a litmus test to do about asking yourself the question all the time as a board, do we still need this committee? Like maybe when we were younger and we had no development staff, we absolutely needed a committee that was focused a bit more on revenue generation. But as we've gotten older, maybe we've gotten and more sophisticated as an organization, we've got we've gotten a team like we've hired a team of development professionals or even one or two that really don't need us other than to support whatever their efforts are. But like we don't need a committee for that because there's staff working on that day in, day out. So so like, I again, this kind of goes back to not getting into that pattern of <laughs> just doing things the way you've always done them and, and going back and and really thinking through which committees do we need given our needs as an organization and our staffing structure. So I've, I've got a follow-up then. So the question was about the fund development committee specifically, and then having right. staff in the development department, where do you draw the line between a fund development committee and a staff role for development? What is the point of a development committee? What are they supposed to do? Because every, in my experience, every time that there's a development committee involved, it's, you know, and and this is probably going to offend a bunch of people, but okay. Um, it's a bunch of dilettantes that don't know anything about what they're talking about that are coming up with just the most insane ideas about how we're going <laughs> to raise money. That it's just, it's, it's an exercise in frustration to professional development staff, which are like, how do I, you know, and then you've got this odd power dynamic between people that are on the committee or on the board. Like these are, you know, this is the board. I'm supposed to pay attention to them and agree with the nonsense that they just spouted at me, knowing that in the 15 years of my experience, like all of that is garbage and it's going to waste my time and I've got better things to do. So what's a fund development, what's a development committee supposed to do? I mean, I, I think again, like, I don't think there's any like black or white answer. I think it depends on, on what your organization needs. I think when you have staff that are in development, a fund development committee is there to help make connections, be ambassadors for the organization, as is every board member, but really be that role model, example, activate, energize other board members to fundraise, make them feel more comfortable with it. Like, I think there's just, it it becomes much more, it's much less about the staff day-to-day running the development program and much more about how do we activate our peers that all should be fundraising for this organization. And we know that boards struggle with fundraising, right? So like, so it's that. And then it's, you know, it's perhaps providing some input to the development plan that staff come up with, like, or some feedback, obviously opening up Rolodex for connections and then using that with other, like saying to the board, hey, like, who else is doing it? Because you know what? Let's be honest. Staff can't hold the board accountable for not fundraising. Like it's a completely awkward power. It's it's not appropriate. It's an inappropriate. It's an awful power dynamic. And like the board needs to hold itself accountable. If fundraising is part of the expectation of serving on that board, they need to hold themselves accountable. And so a fund development committee helps to do that in many ways, if it's done well. But I don't think most organizations ever even talk about this. Like they think that they're supposed to be doing the stuff you're saying or like advise on what color napkins for the special event, which is ludicrous. But (laughs) anyway, right? Like they get into such the weeds and it's kind of like in staff go, there's no purpose. This is a complete waste of time. And I'm with you, Andy. Like I know more organizations that say, let's scrap our development committee. Like this is just, 
it's a waste. And and yet I think there is a missed opportunity there because how many boards do you know that actually have board members that A, are comfortable fundraising, B, involved in it in some way? Like there's most boards are not doing a good job with that. So like there's what that that committee could be doing. But But again, I don't think it's like a black or white. I think it depends a lot on the organizational development stage. It feels like so many other of the committees are really there to sort of dig into the technical details of what what that team is doing and to advise and to create policies. So like my in my imagination, a good development committee would say things like let's let's not accept donations of bitcoin because we don't right. like the environmental issues that are related to that. You know, or something, something sort of policy related, or we would like to see, you know, from a, a policy standpoint for our organization, we would like to see donor thank yous turned around in 48 hours. So, you yes. know, like sort of high level policy decisions. And then, and then, like you said, the assisting the rest of the board with fulfilling their resource development duties. So if you've got a give or get policy, it's then the, the board committee's job, the development committee's job to then help say, okay, you know, let's the staff again, because of the power dynamic, let's have the committee say, look, you're supposed to get us $5,000 or raise $5,000 or do X and you haven't done it yet. Make that so that that's not the staff saying it, make it that the committee saying it to the rest of the board. Right. So, so those are the kinds of things and not, you know, I mean, we could go and we could have conversations for hours about why special events are the world's biggest <laughs> black hole when it comes to attention and time. Um, I think we've already done that, but yeah, yeah. I, go back to one of our prior episodes where we got in trouble for doing that. So. I think we need like a catchphrase. Like we, one thing we don't have is a catchphrase and I'd like to nominate Gala's suck as our catchphrase. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I love it. I love it. Well, and like one final thought on this, like you think about one of the board's primary as a board, one of their primary roles is ensure adequate resources. And when you lay when you dig into that, right, like then it's you look at and part of ensuring adequate resources is ensuring adequate financial resources. But then when you look at it from a governance perspective, it is exactly what you're talking about. Are we doing ethical fundraising, right? Like what is ethical fundraising? Are we are we making sure that like donor privacy policies, donor like like those kinds of the gift acceptance policy you mentioned, those are very typical, like those are really good governance conversations and important governance conversations that like a committee could help dive into in addition to kind of being the cheerleaders and kicking the butt for the rest of the board members who aren't doing their job. So. What is your policy regarding year-end donations? Do you record based on the date received? Mm, well, so you need a policy. Like there needs to be something in writing that's probably like in the finance manual or somewhere written down so that so that when the auditors ask what the policy is, you can point to something. Um, generally, it doesn't matter as long as you're not cheating and and the easiest thing to do is to figure out if something's been mailed to you the post date when it's been postmarked the date of the envelope that has been postmarked if it's an online donation it's the date and time that the online donation was made and what you don't want to do is what you're going to get in trouble for it, first of all you don't want to like 
annoy your donors and say, you know, you sent it to me on the 31st, but I was off until the 4th, so we recorded on the 4th, because that could screw up their tax benefit, which is one of the reasons they're giving you the donation in the first place, maybe, especially at the end of the year. Yeah, All those end of yeah. the year donations, you can just assume that that's the reason that you're getting them. Um, the other thing you don't want to do is like when somebody sends you something in March and says, Hey, I forgot, can you backdate this to December? <laughs> like the answer to that, you want to be able to point to a policy and say, actually, we can't because the auditors are going to, you know, thank you, but I can't because the auditors are going to get us in trouble. Um, and then, you know, if you're smart, then you can recommend alternative strategies about how they can get that tax benefit without having to cheat. Because some of the ways you can do that, if the, you know, if the, there, there are other ways that you can get a tax benefit for a prior year, even though the cash wasn't moved by December 31st. So it's something you might want to look into and decide whether or not you want to add that to your policy, or at least you want to learn about it so you can inform donors about ways they can kind of get around that, oh gosh, I forgot problem. So having been in a situation before, right, where I worked at a nonprofit and we would have donors that maybe were traveling over the holidays and then let's just say it's a week or two into the new year and they're like, oh my gosh, I forgot to make my donation at end of year and I really need to. Like, can I call in a favor from from the staff to backdate it? What do you think about it being... If it's if it's that close, do you think there's wiggle room around it? So, do you want my like official answer, or do you want what I would? I want both. I want. I know officially you're going to say no. That's not yeah. appropriate and right. And IRS says you know poo poos that right. But like, what's the real answer as a staff member who you're trying to maintain that relationship with the donor? Usually, nobody's going to check. I mean, the, 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 you're yeah. running by doing that, you're running the risk of getting caught and getting in trouble. And so you have to sort of balance the calculus of like, is it, if I get in trouble, like what's the potential consequences of me getting in trouble for doing something that's number one against our policy. And number two, like the IRS is not going to dig. And then you can make the decision based on that information. Like the, the, if it's $2 million, like, I don't know that I would want to have that conversation because that's something that, that that's going to rise up in the audit. They're going to look at it and they're going to go, what, you know, this, 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 this payment didn't get into your bank account until March 5th. Like, what did you do with the money between January 1st and March 5th? If you said you received it on December 31st and you're not going to have a really good answer for that. And it's the kind of thing that I can see a board firing you over. Right. Or I can see, yeah. you know, if the IRS decides if you if you win the audit lottery, which is, you know, very low chances that you're going to be in the audit lottery because the IRS has bigger fish to fry. Then if you win the audit lottery, you are going to get in trouble for that particular activity. So, you know, it's, it's a calculus of like ethics and how you know, who's the donor? Like, did they seriously forget it? You know, did, were they in the hospital? Like, you know, can you come <laughs> right. up with a compelling reason when, when you tried to, when someone's going to fire you over this? Like, that, well, she was in the hospital. Like she tried, it was in her purse. She got hit by a car on the 31st and she was on her way to the mailbox. Right. So, I mean, what it's, yeah. But the true answer so, is yeah. create a policy, follow the policy, and then I don't know. <laughs> well, and create a, create a policy, right? Like that's, I don't know if you would agree. I would take it a step further and say, create a policy that's in line with like, I think, I mean, the IRS gives specific instruction about this, right? It is the date it's postmarked or yep. it is the date it's received, as yep. you said, like for an online. So like the policy should be in congruence with IRS, like from an, I think for, to satisfy auditors and just to satisfy kind of what are the, the federal regs around this stuff. Yep. Um, yep. So, and 
I would also add, as someone who has made year-end donations, and there is nothing that drives me a little nuttier than when I get my letter a month later or whenever the nonprofit sends it, you know, with the gift receipt and the tax language, and they actually don't put on there, like, whatever date they sent out the letters. So, like, whatever, January 20th or something, I get the letter, and it says, thank you for your donation. But it doesn't say, your donation received on this date. And so then like I, for my itemization, like really want that to be able to give when I do my personal taxes, like if I'm itemizing rate or whatever, getting the standard deduction or whatever, like, hey, I mean, but but it really only applies if you're itemizing. And like, I want to be able to say to my CPA, yeah, like here's my proof that it was, I don't know if I'm doing, like, I don't know, Andy, if that's an accurate thing to be concerned about, but I get concerned about it because I'm like, it doesn't say when they received it. And like, that should also be something in a, a gift receipt letter that I that I think is important information to put. Yeah. So if for, for gifts under a threshold, and I think it's $200, the, the, the nonprofit's not required to send you anything right. back. If you send somebody a gift for less than $200, right. they don't have to respond to you. Um, but you should. I think it's two. <laughs> is it is it two hundred or two fifty? I thought it was two fifty, but maybe it it's changed to two hundred. So we'll we'll look up. And we'll, we'll look. Yeah, up. we'll put it. it yeah. Um, the so two fifty. So there is a threshold. We'll go this way. Well, there's a threshold under which the nonprofit doesn't have to send you anything as a response, right? Um, and over that threshold, they are required to send you something. If if you've given them a gift over the threshold and they responded inappropriately, it's up to the donor to reach back out to, you know, from the donor's perspective, it's up to the donor to reach back out to the organization and say, dude, you need to send me this. And this is what it has to say. If they send it to you and it's wrong, if you send it on the, if you postmarked it on the 31st and you get the thing back and it's like, thank you for your donation of January 15th. And you need that information to substantiate your charitable giving for that year hassle the nonprofit and say, look, it's postmarked. I mean, maybe you threw away the envelope, but send me this. And if they bother you about that or they have a problem with it, that's a big red flag that maybe you don't want to participate with that nonprofit anymore, right? So they, they have an obligation to do that and to do it accurately. And if if they didn't give you what you wanted. So like, you know, so one of my, so one of the things that I do in my consulting business is we have a, we have a basically a donor advised fund that collects money and distributes it out. And None of the checks that we send are less than $500. So we, we always have to get a, a, some sort of acknowledgement back. And I'm consistently shocked at how few nonprofits even acknowledge the gift. And, and like on the letter that gets sent with the check, it's like, please email your acknowledgement to this email address. It's like, you don't have to mail something to me. I just want, I want an email that says, Thank you for the 500 bucks, right? Or whatever it was, because right. that's the smallest right. possible gift that we'll give. And so if we don't get anything at all, I'm always hassling them. I'm find calling them. I'm sending the other letters. I'm like, look, you got to do this job, right? Because, and, and not recognizing that, like, I have some control over whether or not they get the money to begin with. So if they don't do what we ask them to do, the next time our, our, one of our fund owners decides, or their once they decide to advise on where to give it, I can say, you know what? We sent them $2,500 last year and we didn't get a peep. We got nothing back, not an acknowledgement, nothing. Are you sure you want to give to this organization again? Right. So, and that's, I mean, it, I, I just don't understand why you would behave that way. It's so silly. And it's, and it's so, it's so simple, right? Like, like if someone can't, it really, 
erodes trust if someone can't get something as basic as a letter, you know, yeah, or an email. (laughs) Like, yeah, I'm just kind of like, uh, that makes me cringe a little. And and I think what our listeners are hearing from us also is like, we're not, I mean, Andy may be talking about some higher end donors he's working with, but like, I'm an average everyday middle-class person, right? But I still, I still want to see some degree of, um, yeah, like timeliness. And I I mean, obviously timeliness and accuracy, because I'm like, if you're not getting that right, or, or if you're not giving me the details I need to be able to do, you know, what I've got to do for my own tax purposes that, that, and I have to come back and like bug you about it. It it doesn't like bode well, Mm -hmm. like that is so not a good way to start or, you know, continue a relationship, whatever it is. So, right. so like get the house in order on some of this basic stuff yeah. is the, is the message. As a donor, don't make me call you to ask you if you received the check because it hasn't been cashed yet. Yeah. Oh, please. <laughs> it's like, just that's the super basic stuff. Like, what are you doing with it? Is it in your car? Like, right. did you not get it? Like, if you didn't get it, great. Awesome. Let me, I'll avoid it. I'll send you a new one. But, but if you got it and you're like, oh, we just haven't gotten to the bank. Like, oh my God, no, (laughs) no, you don't need it. If you don't put it in the bank, you don't need it, right? Thank you everybody for joining us for another episode of Nonprofit Everything. We hope we answered your questions and uh, that you learned a thing or two. And We're also wishing you everything merry, happy, bright, all that good stuff, right? It's the season of craziness. And I know that for some people, like it starts to slow down. But for the the majority of us, life just goes on super speed, if that's even possible. So we're wishing you all the best. We hope you get some moments of time, rest, and relaxation with friends, family, and loved ones. And we're just so grateful to you for for listening to us. And if you want to give us the best gift you could... For the new year, no pressure, but we would love it if you would actually share this episode or maybe your favorite episode that you've heard with one person. We would love to just continue to increase our listenership and we can only do that by you and you sharing with your network. So uh, thank you for, for everything you do for the sector and for being our loyal listeners.